0: Welcome to the 415th episode of the Jamie Delaney Plant-Based Wellness Podcast. My name is Jamie Delaney and I'm your host. I'm a plant-based cardiologist and endurance athlete living in Southwest Florida. Thank you and welcome. I hope the new year is treating you good so far. We're doing great with our challenge so far. We're into day four. Every day is cumulative, so it's day one, day one plus day two, and so forth for 31 days. So we have 31 new great health habits by the end of January, and hopefully people can carry them on through the year and build on them. So uh, it's been a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to the feedback. Um, The people that give me the feedback we are going to give them a drawing for a shirt and a cookbook. So it's going to be a great kickoff to January. Running's going good. Back ramping it up for... Possible 50 miler in February, uh, second week. The Rocky Hoka Rocky Raccoon in Texas. We're then going to head to the east coast of Florida for the Treasure Coast Marathon in Stuart. So we're having, hoping to have a lot of plant-based uh, runners and striders show up for that. It's going to be a great time. We have our uh superstars from last year plus we're adding on some more so if you want to join us uh, i think there's still room so go on over to the treasure coast marathon and sign up and we'd love to see you there this podcast is being recorded on january the 4th and um it hit me that this was the day that my grandmother passed away um some 54 years ago when i was 16 she died of a massive heart attack after having had diabetes and was one of the founding reasons why I became a physician uh, to try to make things a little bit better for other people. And it took me a while to figure out how that we can really reverse diabetes and heart disease. But I, I think we're on the right path now. But I'd like to dedicate this podcast to her. Um, I think given the opportunity, she would have been glad to become a plant-based um, person. She had a big garden, and uh, I think she would have made the transition just just fine had she had the opportunity. So um, if your grandmother has diabetes, get her to become plant-based. It's never too late. Nevertheless, um, again, back in the day, she went to the doctor once a year, a local GP in our little town with no streetlights, and had her urine tested to see if there was glucose in her urine. And if there was glucose in her urine, That meant her sugars were greater than 200, which would have been poor control. And so that was a sign that she was doing well. Her dietary education was trying not to eat too much sugar. So I don't remember her eating much of the desserts that she made, um, but certainly um, her cooking was traditional Irish cooking, fabulous. Um, She cooked in an iron skillet on a wood stove, Um, there was a lard container on top of the stove we ate a lot of pork because that's what my family raised um, as well as some beef but there was a a heavy um, heavy amount of pork I would say in our in our diet that was fried Um, everything was fried fried potatoes if there was leftover mashed potatoes they were fried the next day So there was, you know, when people talk about um, seed oils causing the problem and we should go back to saturated fats, clearly um, I can say from experience that that certainly is not the answer. She had a big garden um, and she grew things like beets, cabbage, potatoes, a lot of green beans, corn, uh, some greens, light on the greens really other than the cabbage, sweet potatoes, um, and we ate out of the garden in the summer, and she canned, and we ate um, out of the garden in the winter that was, was canned. Everything was canned. Sweet potatoes were canned with, with sugar uh, or brown sugar or, or some sort of sweetener, Peer, pears and apples that we had. She actually would make applesauce, and there was a tremendous amount of sugar added into into things, pies. We you know, never ate a piece of fruit that didn't have sugar on it, and most of the time didn't need a piece of fruit anyway because we um saved it to make a pie and so that's kind of how I grew up she worked very hard she worked all day long um a lot of manual labor in the place that she lived um we didn't have um indoor plumbing until I was about eight Uh, my parents lived um a few miles away I would stay with my grandmother while my parents worked uh, and she babysat me uh, in the evenings but for the most part I was there only during the day um, and occasional nights. Um, So she carried water to to do washing um, washed outside there was a fire made that my grandmother made or grandfather made Um, you know she did her own cleaning she did her own gardening it was all all manual so she she worked very hard and and certainly was physically active, Um, but the saturated fat content in her diet was, you know, probably 30 or 40 percent. Again, no health care other than if she was ever sick, and I I really don't ever remember being sick until she had her heart attack, but the symptoms of her heart attack uh, was after Christmas, and she had made the big spread for the family, and had the big gathering, and she was just so tired. I remember her saying when I went up to visit her that she wasn't feeling well. And again, it was very unusual for her to be sick or have the flu. I don't really remember her having colds or anything when I grew up, even though she kept me and my cousins and everything. But she was so, so tired. She um, just, just couldn't get her energy back after Christmas. And she, the day that we went up to visit her, she said, you know, she, they, she thought she had the flu. She had this terrible indigestion. If she could just burp, um, she thinks she would have felt better, and she was nauseated. And the local GP actually came to see her and thought she had the flu, but later that night things got worse, and she was taken to the hospital and was found that she was having a massive heart attack. Back in the day, there were no stents or emergency procedures. You just wrote it out in the intensive care unit, and she subsequently went into heart block and... um, we were told that a temporary pacemaker was was made or was placed to help stabilize her, but um, it wasn't long after in the evening that, that she passed away. It happened to her. Um, you know, she never had symptoms of heart disease that she let know, and certainly the symptoms that she was having was not typical for what most people think as a heart attack—a pressure in your chest or pain down your arms or in your jaw. But um, I didn't even know if people thought that at that point, but nevertheless, that those symptoms stuck with me for. Uh, they stuck with me the rest of my life. I was sixteen at the at the time, and you know it was the first. You know it, it became uh, diabetics can have very much very atypical chest discomfort. Um, especially diabetics because of neuropathies and nerve, they just don't feel things like other people feel things sometimes and GI issues get, get confused. And everybody, your, your nerves to your chest are all intermingled so you know uh, severe esophageal spasm can feel like a heart, heart attack. Pain in your ribs can feel like chest pain and so it it's, can be hard to differentiate. What I will tell you and what I've learned Uh, over the years is that if you have uh, if you've had a heart attack when the chest pain comes back it'll come back the same way so if somebody had a heart attack and they had jaw pain it'll come back as jaw pain if they had arm pain it'll come back as is arm pain Um, but it can be a variety of things because of the innervation of the upper you know the, the upper chest so um if you have those symptoms of severe fatigue and you just you know you just feel worse than you ever have as far as your energy level, don't ignore it. Um, but don't think just because your diabetes is fairly well controlled or you're ignoring it, and it's not have, causing you problems. That you know that that you're not going to have um, cardiovascular symptoms from it. It became a driving factor for me to go to medical school. Um, diabetes has always been in in my mind um, because my other grandmother died of diabetes and the complications as i've mentioned on this this podcast in the past so my early practice uh, it was all about treating the numbers um, getting a hemoglobin a1c as low as i can i still like to see a hemoglobin a1c normalized but not through medication through reversing diabetes because unlike what the tv ads say if your hemoglobin a1c comes down a point a couple of points you can you can celebrate with your doctor but it doesn't do anything to change the secondary side effects of diabetes you're masking them by just normalizing the number through artificial means we either flog the pancreas to make more insulin um, but again we're making more insulin in a presence that is needed to drive glucose into the cell that doesn't want to go because that receptor's blocked so we're putting out more insulin than needs to be. Insulin drives the secondary side effects of diabetes by increasing inflammatory markers. Um, again, I talked uh, a little bit uh, about you know increased fat deposition in the muscle cells, which makes things worse. It becomes a vicious cycle, um, and it causes um, platelet clumping and clotting. So getting a hemoglobin A1c down through medication that either stimulates insulin production or decreases gastric emptying. um, It doesn't fix the problem, it masks the problem and and the glucose is better but not the secondary side effects. So the only way around this is to actually reverse diabetes and it's it's very um, it's very doable. Um, Unfortunately a lot of people can't hang uh, long-term with the necessary changes because they spent their whole life eating a certain way and we we kind of get them going on a plant-based diet and they they slide off Um, they slide off because they feel okay and they start to feel better on a plant-based diet but it's very important to normalize body mass index the problem is with this fat deposition we have to get the fat out of the muscle Uh, we have to get the fat out of the adipose tissue or i'm sorry we have to get the fat out of the abdomen uh, and the visceral fat around the organs and so exercise plays a key role as well as plant-based nutrition and and fat content really has to come down Um, a keto diet will not reverse diabetes it causes more fat deposition over time Um, so we you know again the answer is a a low-fat plant-based diet Um, and it works Uh, we see people get better it's a matter of people sustaining it because As I'll talk about in a little bit later, people get sucked back into the middle to to be like everybody. Career has been around not only helping other people to try to reverse their diabetes, first with medications, which didn't work, and now nutrition. I I am a huge proponent of exercise because it does help maintain your weight once you get the weight off. It will not cause you to normalize your body weight without changing your diet. So exercise is extremely important to me. Being a lifelong exerciser is extremely important to me and, and, and is what I recommend to my, to my patient. Know that if I let my weight go up, um, I too could become a diabetic because that's just um, how my family and my genetics are built. Um, good old Irish women tend to carry their weight in the middle. Body composition is huge. So on this January 4th, I'd like to dedicate this podcast my whole career for essentially has been because I do believe we know the reason for diabetes and people don't need to die from adult onset diabetes or heart disease nearly in the amount that is happening around the world. So enjoy the rest of this podcast. People often ask is caffeine okay, is coffee okay, caffeinated beverages, um, there was a recent study done that mainly in mice and rats but looked at the effect of caffeine on heart muscle and metabolic function and actually it showed in the presence of exercise showed an improvement in left ventricular function and a decrease in fibrosis of, of the heart muscle. Um... There's improved fatty acid and glucose metabolism. It helps to build muscle mass, decrease fatty liver. So there's a lot of good things that um, can occur with caffeine in moderation, per se, Um, at least in a a mouse or a a rat study. So caffeine in the presence of exercise, obviously not taken to a toxic extreme, um, can actually be very beneficial. Caffeine can increase people's heart rate somewhat, so there is a little bit of a caution, obviously, in people that are prone to arrhythmias, whether caffeine might trigger that. It's always been plus minus whether uh, caffeine's going to uh, bring on uh, an atrial arrhythmia or not. Some people are very sensitive to caffeine. Some people aren't, um, but if you are a coffee drinker or you um, use caffeinated beverages um Um, you know a lot of the sports drinks have caffeine Um, you know there it is performance enhancing and there doesn't appear to be any um, long-term bad things when it comes to muscles or or, our heart function just like um, the ability to get off a floor is an indicator of longevity so is grip strength and grip speed so as i'm sitting here I actually have uh, one of these big spring devices that I'm using to improve my grip to increase my pull-up. That was a tip from Jenny McCall, the master ninja warrior. But it's also uh, been shown to be a factor uh, in overall mitochondrial health, and those are the little organelles that uh, are our me- metabolism um, powerhouses in the muscle cell. And as we get older, not only lose muscle fibers, but you lose the mitochondria. So you have more than one mitochondria per muscle cell and those start to decrease as well. Um, and when they start to decrease, there is a, um, an associated decrease in muscle fiber and muscle fiber function. When people are insulin resistant, the um, glucose can't get into the cell for the mitochondria to ultimately use for energy and this leads to an increased deposition of fat in the muscle which further decreases the function and makes insulin resistance worse so it becomes somewhat like a vicious cycle uh, for people that are diabetic the carnivore movement you know went from grass-fed lean meat to all this fatty meat that they can get their hands on and if you think you know the fatty meat with the marbling through it that's kind of what happens to humans as well when we age and the mitochondria decrease insulin resistance sets in and there's more fat deposited into the muscle so it's uh, not a not a good thing by any stretch of the imagination and of course it makes i don't see how anybody could imagine eating something like that uh, could could make things better by any stretch so the more muscle people tend to have, the better lipid metabolism that people tend to have. So, if you think about um, most people, with with the exception of a uh, you know family hereditary type, very very high um, lipid levels, most people's cholesterol don't start uh, the, the the cholesterol doesn't start to go up until their their forties and then there's this climb, 40s to 50s, and then there can be like a steep climb, Um, and it obviously has to do with uh, diet and nutrition, but the muscle fiber loss probably is also playing a role in lipid metabolism. So it's another reason to do some strength training and keep the muscle mass up. If you're going to the gym this early January, Um, and by February the trainer tells you and does some measurements and that you're gaining muscle mass already Um, beware you know a lot of people say well I haven't lost any weight but I'm getting more muscle mass and less fat mass and redistributing things it's not that easy it's not that easy Um, and you know um, if you have fat mass then that needs to go away Uh, in order to actually increase your muscle mass regardless of what kind of exercise you do whether you do endurance type um, training running biking swimming versus resistance lifting weights um, it increases mitochondrial mass as um, and all these functions improve if you um, you're when you're doing your resistance training the muscle cells or the the muscle fibers actually enlarge the muscle mass increases strength and power increases accordingly when you're doing endurance activities you're improving your cardiorespiratory fitness your oxygen consumption so your ability of your muscles and tissues to take up oxygen which is very important improves an overall physical performance increase so you know there's always an argument on twitter and in the news of you know resistance training high intensity training low long and slow training uh, the reality of it is, we we need to do all of it uh, to some degree. It doesn't have to be uh, necessarily in a gym. Um, a lot of people have jobs that are very physical, but it needs to be well rounded, uh, both a combination of strength and endurance training. You know, when I see people out meandering with their dog, walking them, yes, they're up on their feet, they're getting steps in, but that's not what we're after either. Because we want people to be able to walk at a at a good clip. The slower you walk, the worse your prognosis is as well. Because again, it comes down to um, the neurons firing to make your leg muscle contract to make you go quicker. Doesn't necessarily mean to do that. You need to do speed work. And the reality of it is, most people are benefit from um, exercising at a conversational pace, but at an increased heart rate. So. Um, a good test to know whether you're walking um, too fast is if you, uh, you know, if you can't recite the Pledge of Allegiance. Some people talk about the green eggs in hand, but the reality is, if you can't, excite, if you can't recite the Pledge of Allegiance, you're probably um, you're probably walking or running too fast the majority of time uh, in order to get the most out of cardiovascular fitness. The idea is. The longer you can perform at a slower heart, a lower heart rate, um, the more you train your muscles to use oxygen and you'll start to move faster at a lower heart rate. If you just go out and sprint like little kids do in a 5k, you're just going to have so much and you burn out because your muscles aren't used to using fat. They're, they're just going to use the glucose that they have available and because there's not much of them, they can't store that much glucose or glycogen. So... Um, you never get anywhere. So you have to exercise at the lower heart rates in order to train your muscles to use a combination of fat and carbohydrates so you don't burn all your matches, so to speak. Um, it's like uh, having a fire up north, um, you know, and all these people that have these rip, roaring fires this time of the year, um, and you're burning wood, and it, you, burn, you go through a lot of wood. At night, you stoke the fire with coal, um, to keep the fire burning in just at an at a amber so that you can get it started again in the morning. If you let the fire go all the way out, then you have to start from scratch and everything has to be heated up. So you want to keep the fire burning at a low level all the time and then have periods where you increase, increase the burn through um, increased use of carbohydrates. It has been shown that you can increase mitochondrial mass and muscle mass at any age but the people that are lifelong exercisers do much better over time than the people that try to take it up at 80 so to speak. So um it's no time to put it off. Um you want to have lifelong exercise. I used to think, you know, at what point do you have enough muscle mass can you just ride it out and you don't have to go to the gym? But the idea is never. Uh because the minute we start moving, we we the loss of muscle mass accelerates and Um, you know, again, everybody's familiar with the, when you put people to bed, they lose a significant amount of muscle mass in a few days. So if somebody goes into the hospital with pneumonia or breaks their hip, they lose a lot of muscle mass. And that's why older individuals who've lost a lot of muscle mass, um, are very prone to respiratory failure, pneumonia after breaking a hip, uh, or repeated falls because they just don't have the muscle mass, uh, and respiratory function to, uh, get themselves back on track. So it can be a very devastating injury to an older person that has low muscle mass. Um, if they break a limb, um, it's easy enough to fix a broken limb. It's what happens to the rest of the body when you're trying to heal that's the problem. So that's why it's so important to get people up uh, and moving as quick as as they possible. And it's why it's so important to make sure you're moving and picking up something heavy and doing the activities that. Um, maybe you've hired out um, or to make your life easier really just make you weaker i read a recent study um, that was just put out looking at a large it was a large observational study looking at a large cohort of people that were medicare age so that 65 plus age group to see whether or not pneumococcal vaccines are actually beneficial and there was a lot of fuzzy math involved and person years and mathematical equations and extractions. But the reality of it is, you know, vaccinating people for a pneumococcal pneumonia doesn't can barely save a few hospitalizations, but has never been proven to be life-saving. On the contrary, there are complications to getting pneumococcal vaccines, especially in an elderly population where you're injecting adjuvants like aluminum in brains that are a little bit more, um, you know, uh, have have been exposed to a lot of toxins over time. You're committing natural killer cells to a potential threat that maybe you should have saved those natural killer cells for some other function. So I, I believe that it's, doesn't improve your immune function by getting a vaccine at this age, especially if it's not going to save a life. So um, I don't think that that's, that's the, a, a good plan uh, as far as uh, preventative medicine. Um, when somebody goes to the hospital, first thing they do is ask them, if you had a flu shot, have you had a pneumococcal vaccine? Neither of these have been shown to save, save lives. However, Um, if one were to eat a diet high in vitamin c and antioxidants and chlorophyll decrease processed oil intake to decrease inflammation decrease seed oils and decrease omega-6s that are found in meat decrease dairy that um, you know associated with inflammation uh, and exercise people do much better so i think that Uh, and of course eating greens for for vascular health. Uh, The more greens you eat, the more you dilate blood vessels everywhere, the more capillaries uh, deliver uh, oxygen to little neurons, the more your nerves stay alive, the more your muscles contract. So I think there's a lot you can do that's much better with no side effects versus um just getting in line for every vaccine that has a potential um you know or it says that you know this is going to save you because i don't believe that's going to save you so if you're looking for a few things to put on your 2023 list to try to accomplish this year i would have you check your overall mobility up Um, can you get off of the floor without using your hands that can be, you know, rolling to your side, doing a sit-up, going to your knees and standing without using your hands or doing a cross-leg Indian and standing up. Um, can you do push-ups? We know that uh, in studies with men, they were done mainly with men, that the more push-ups, over 40 push-ups is a market improved cardiovascular fitness. Um, we know that walking speed. Uh, increases uh, is associated with a better outcome than not being able to walk. Um, People are often told that, you know, their joints are bad, their knees are bad, they're bone on bone, so they can't. I will say that if you're told that, or you think you can't, you won't and you'll never will be, Um, and that's somewhat of a harsh um, statement to say. But, um, you know, to date there's been um, no mechanical replacement part in the human body that functions as good as the original equipment. So, when the surgery happens, there's scar tissue and restricted motion, time in bed, time off your feet, loss of muscle mass, um, and decreased range of motion. So, it's been shown that if somebody gets a hip replacement, and they couldn't get off the ground before they had a hip replacement, there is a very low likelihood that they will be able to get off the ground after their hip replacement. Um, you know, a lot of people are told not to do, um, a lot of motions, not to get past 90 degrees for, for fear of dislocating the prosthetic hip. That's probably not uh, completely accurate information. There's a lot, there's a couple small studies that looked at people that were fit, um, and pretty mobile before they had their hip replacement and those people didn't seem to have any problem when they proceeded uh, to do some of these exercises or train. so you know word to the wise uh, look at your shoulder range of motion your hip range of motion and if you can't move those joints work on moving those joints to protect yourself um, over the over the 2023. I have a practice that is different from most other physicians or allopathic doctors that have um, wellness practice and that um, our patients are, are long-term, um, so I hope that they stay with me. They can leave, obviously, if they want to, but I have had patients in my practice, um, I still have some all the way back from when I came to Florida in 1999. But, um, there's a fair number of my small wellness practice that have been with me for some time. And, and there's a core of patients that have been with me a moderate amount of time. And then there's uh, some patients, you know, at the top end that, you know, for whatever reason, it didn't seem to be a good fit for them or they have decided to go a different path and, and they move on. But, but, but what I see is that um, sometimes people come into the practice and they are very gun ho to make changes. Maybe they've had a health scare. Um, typically, that's what happens. They've had uh, a pretty bad health scare. And they make these giant strides um, over the next year. And human nature takes, um, I guess, over and people start to coast. And when they coast, they kind of drift back into the standard nutritional standard American diets, standard mobility practices of everybody else, it becomes too hard to be an outlier over time and they, they get sucked back into um, what everybody else is doing. It's hard, you know, it's hard to be different. Um, if you look at, again, curves I've talked about, you know, before early adopter, uh, people that are, you know, very gun ho to um, go against the fray, people that have used alternative therapies to heal their cancer and nutritional therapies to heal their cancer, um, people that, you know, are extreme, do extreme uh, exercise feats, you know, ninja warriors and running 100 miles. And then there are people that um, don't even know those things exist. And uh, when, if they heard about it, they would say, why do they even exist? And then there's the middle portion where they just, uh, you know, most people are just kind of happy doing what their neighbor does. And if you look across the, the room and the outback, most people look alike. You know, if you go into Bob Evans, most people look alike. If you go into certain parts of the country, most people look alike. Uh, there's an unhealthy atmosphere, so it looks normal. And for the most part, it is normal. There's, you know, there may be a few outliers, but it's, you know, They're just thought to be different, Um, and they may be tolerated. They may not be, but for the most part, there's this big center portion of people that um, occupy the middle, and when you try to change, again, you're focused on a goal for a year, year and a half, and you maybe almost attained the goal or you did attain the goal, and you start to kind of slip back into the fray, so to speak, and back into the crowd. I heard someone today say, I can't take it anymore. You got to die as something. You know, why fight it? Um, you know, maybe I don't want to live to be 90 years old. Um, people think of us as old anyway. You know, so you, all those little sayings that creep in to uh, make us all doubt our core. So I think it's a really good idea for people to have health goals as we enter 2023, even if you're starting the health goals over. And you know they have to be specific. I remember an English teacher uh, once told me it's like, well, you have to find a research topic that's specific enough. It's too broad. You know you have to narrow it down, and I think that's the same way with our health goals. Is you have to narrow it down. Um, what are your goals and step by step? Um, with running, it's a you know it's a five k, a ten k, a half marathon, a marathon. A, uh, 50k perhaps and and further uh, people that jump right into the marathon they can complete it uh, But typically it's a one-and-done thing But people that learn the process and work the process for longer periods of time Understand that um, it's a step process and you en- learn to enjoy the journey as opposed to just focus on this giant broad goal so, um, you know, if you can find in 2023, some specific things that you want to do, um, I think it's, it's much more helpful as opposed to, um, you know, this, I just, I just want to be healthy and we'll give it my best shot or I'm trying, or it's the best I can do, or perhaps even it's too much. I admire the people that I've spoken to recently that, you know, they, they fell off, uh, we suck, Say fall off the wagon a little bit. Uh, but then they find a new goal that they start to look at, um, whether it's you know being involved with a new group of people, a new church, a new hobby, a new activity that's positive, being outside, a new project um, that they maybe didn't think they could do, but they're actually doing quite well doing. Um, those people tend to be able to pick it up and, and go forth. So I, I don't think when you make these giant changes to, say, to plant-based nutrition, it's sustainable if you don't keep having goals to keep you in the game because you get sucked back into the old ways because you did it too long and there's too many people that want you to be like them. So I think it's, it's you know, if you can find the goal that you want and, and stick to it, but make it small enough that there are attainable steps that you can get to each one of those steps um, and keep progressing. And, uh, you know, again, start to enjoy the process and, um, you know, take comfort in, in what you have accomplished and, um, you know, pat yourself on the back for the things that you're able to do. I have a lot of people in this practice that are doing things that they never thought they'd even want to do and now, and now they love them. So don't be, don't be afraid to um, put yourself out there a little bit and try something, uh, you know, a little bit different more on the fringe as opposed to uh, that middle behavior. Your job is not to convert other people into being plant-based or endurance athletes, but your job is to be the best plant-based person, uh, the healthiest outlier that you can be to keep them from catching you. So it's almost like you're running from the the middle uh, as opposed to being sucked back into the middle. And I think that that's, uh, and, and keep focusing on the outliers, keep focusing on the, Uh, 20 percenters that are out there doing great things and um, getting off their medications and getting off the floor and running half marathons and marathons. Um, Those are the people you look to for motivations uh, as opposed to getting sucked back into the fold, so to speak, of what everybody else would like you to be and make it easier on them. Um, Because if it's really easy, it's probably not going to be too exciting or, or worth doing. And I think boredom sucks people back as well. So I'm going to look forward to hearing about the people that are doing our build your health program and how, um, adding little steps every day in the month of January is going to ultimately affect them come February the 1st. And, um, whether it seems much more doable, um, the positive changes that they see, uh, and how it affects their outlook. And then the next step will be how do we keep it going forward? So it's exciting times. Um, Thank you for listening as always. Thank you for the email, uh, Dr. Rebecca, who is a pathologist out in California and uh, an ultra runner. Dr. Rebecca is getting ready to train for her second hundred miler. So, um, kudos to you! I can't wait to hear the results of that. Uh, she's also plant-based, so um, you know, uh, again, full-time pathologist training to do a hundred milers motivation to all of us including me so thanks for listening and if you would like to share your story with me on your plant-based transition journey or hopes for 2023 i'd love to hear from me hear from you you can uh, email me at jamie at drdelaney.com j-a-m-i at drdelaney.com or um, please check out the website at drdelaney.com to see what we're up to you can follow me on instagram i put some of the food that i eat there jamila delaney Join us at the Treasure Coast Marathon in March if you'd like. Uh, We're going to be having a lot of fun um, with a plant based, big plant based group of runners, hopefully. Um, So thank you for listening. See you next week.